Hello again and welcome back to the Greenlight Podcast. This is a collaboration between Glow West and Active Consent, who both work to build a consent culture in Ireland through the use of podcasts, workshops, dramas and e-learning modules. You can find us all on consenthub.ie. And the Greenlight Podcast explores how consent, sexual violence and relationships are depicted in and shaped by pop culture from Hollywood to TV shows. Today you have two hosts with you. I'm Caroline and I'm joined by Alex. Alex, how are you? I'm very good. I'm very excited for our chat today. Fabulous. Oh, exciting. And today we are discussing stalking in pop culture. So what is stalking? Well, it's defined as a pattern of fixated and obsessive behavior, which is repeated, persistent, intrusive and causes fear of violence or engenders alarm and distress in the victim. And to discuss this, we are joined by Eve McDell, who is a campaigner who works to change the laws on stalking in Ireland and who has experienced stalking herself. You can listen to Eve's full story on episode 71 on the Glow West podcast, where she kindly discusses her whole ordeal. Um, I don't think there's any other word for it there. But um, today we are focusing on pop culture. So Eve, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Thanks so much for having me on, guys. I'm really looking forward to today. Hope you're keeping well. Fabulous, fabulous. Well, we are pop culture aficionados on on this podcast, but there's so much stalking in pop culture and it's only when you kind of dive into it, you actually notice how much is there. Um, I suppose like we, we go, go back to the 1980s and there's there's movies like Fatal Attraction, um, which was kind of one of the original stalking movies. And then we had things like Misery, which was brought back to life recently on RuPaul's Drag Race, where Bag of Chips played um, Annie Wilkes, the main character in Misery, who uh, my only memory of misery really is when she tied his legs to posts and smashed them with a sledgehammer because she would he wouldn't <laughs> write the book the way she wanted it to or something. Um, but there's so much, there's so much out there mm-hmm. in in pop culture. Eve, what's what's your biggest kind of example you have of stalking in pop culture? I suppose what's been very topical at the minute um, is Kanye West treatment of uh, Kim Kardashian uh, and Pete Davidson because mm. you know um, I suppose when you really start to analyze it you can see quite clear it doesn't take much analyzing it's, it's clear that he is stalking her um, and you know I always would have been a huge fan of Kanye's music back in the day and it's kind of like when you take a step back and see how prevalent it is in society you know it, it can be nearly depressing in some senses but at the same time it explains why it's so enabled in our society and in our culture as well I see like lots of the Instagram comments for Kanye it's like he's just trying to get his family back and Pete's a homewrecker and then when he left those Valentine was it Valentine's Day or Mother's Day I think it was Valentine's Day the, the truck of red roses outside her house because he now lives across the road from her as well and everyone's like oh that's so romantic but gifts are part of stalking right yeah, it's one of the main stalking behaviors, unwanted gifts. You know, it's one of the ones that always gets a big mention. Um, and, you know, that's just it to to a bigger extent. And yeah, the buying the house across from her, I mean, that's that's not normal behavior whatsoever. And it's controlling. And I think the reason why people are deeming it romantic is because we've seen it so much in pop culture before, where it's portrayed, portrayed as romantic. And, um, you know, there'll be movies and series and things where... Um, most of the time it's a woman that's pursued relentlessly and in the end up they you know end up together and the guy finally gets her after she reject rejecting him so many times and it's just such a damaging narrative would you mind actually doing for us for 
some people that maybe aren't as aware, but you mentioned there how gift giving is actually one of the most prominent features of stalking and obviously <laughs> gifts that aren't wanted. Is there a kind of a is there a kind of general list of kind of tick boxes that you could see that would kind of um, be the main uh, proponents of stalking and how do they kind of dip in and out of the romantic comedy uh, like tropes and narratives that we see? Like it would be interesting to see the Venn diagram of romantic yeah. hero behaviors and stalking <laughs> behaviors so would you have a kind of a quick list of a checklist of stalking behaviors for us you could give yeah so I suppose like following and watching someone uh, messaging someone repeatedly showing up to someone's house the unwanted gifts um you know continuing to pursue them after they've said no um the threat of self-harm and suicide like we see that in the notebook he threatens to uh Noah threatens to throw himself off the ferris wheel if um I can't remember the character's name now, but if she won't go out with him, I mean, it, it's portrayed as romantic in these movies. But when you kind of look at these behaviours and put that pattern together, um, you can see how damaging that, that that can be. And he jumps on the first wheel while she's on a date already. Like she's, there's another guy yeah. in the little carriage. So he endangers the two of them by jumping on it. And then there's, there's people in the carriage underneath and they're like, just say yes, just go out with him. It's cool. And it's like she has no choice yeah. in that matter. It's that public pressure as well. These like public displays of affection, which make it kind of very hard to say no to someone because it's quite manipulative, really. If someone's rejected you a couple of times and then approaching them in a public situation mm-hmm. and having this grand gesture and if people don't really know the ins and outs of the situation, you know, they might deem it as romantic. But um, luckily now I've never seen anyone jump up the Ferris wheel, but I'd never <laughs> pressured the girl to go out with someone that would do that. You know, um, I suppose it's start, we need to start recognizing those behaviors as not romantic they're controlling really that reminds me I was thinking about actually the notebook recently and how I think right before she goes on the Ferris wheel she's with another guy and he tries to intervene and she's like no I'm not interested he's like okay well then I'm going to jump up on the Ferris wheel and starts dangling by one hand being like if you don't say yes to a date with me like I'm gonna fall and it reminded me of remember a couple of years ago there was that guy playing the piano it was somewhere in America and he's playing the piano for his ex until she got back with them or something and then it turned out that he I don't think he had treated her very well and he actually I think he ended up getting harassed or it was finally public opinion kind of shifted against them and they were or people were kind of like no this guy's awful like but those public displays of the grand gesture and Mm -hmm. I believe it's in one of my favorite films but a favorite film of mine that I can acknowledge its flaws but in 10 things I hate about you and when the guy, I can't remember his name, but says to Heath Ledger, you have to sacrifice your dignity on the altar of love. And the idea that this grand gesture is like, well, that's what you have to do. You have to embarrass yourself in public and that's going to get her back and show her that you're serious. That's not healthy. It's in um, sex education as well, I think, unfortunately. When sex education were really good, um, it was the first I started crying when I was watching it because I thought, I was like, oh my God, they've addressed stalking so well. Because um, there's a scene where the son is at a house party and Gillian Anderson's character comes to check up on him. And he's like, stop stalking me. And she just turns to him and she goes, that weight carries a lot of weight or that word carries a lot of weight. Don't misuse it. And I was like, oh, brilliant that they addressed it. But then later on in the series, I think Maeve Oily ends up. Um, the popular guy out. sings in front of her, doesn't he? Yeah, it's like a really kind of cringe scene that I was like, oh, I can't wait for her to shut this down. But then she didn't. She actually ended up with him. I was like, no, you know, it would have been nice to see the narrative change there. But um. 
I mean, you know, it, it's something that's so prevalent in so many movies and series. I think that relentlessness is really reflected in the Kanye stuff at the moment. And I think Trevor Noah, when he called Kanye, was really quite good at the way he did it and he said if Kim Kardashian with all the money and the resources she has can't escape this like what chances the everyday person have and it is that like relentless nature of stalking and I'm reminded of the film There's Something About Mary where like the guy like obsesses over her for 20 years and even hires a private investigator like 20 years to be obsessed with someone that you haven't seen is not healthy behavior but we thought that was like the best romantic comedy ever like it won a whole bunch of awards yeah I mean it's mad it's, it's crazy the maddest thing about I rewatched there's something about Mary recently in preparation for this discussion and um I remember I mean it was the height of physical comedy at the time I remember everyone it was such an outrageous film and it has a lot of physical laughs it was very popular at the time but by the end of the film poor Cameron Diaz has about five or six stalkers that are revealed at the end and because Ben Stiller, it's kind of portrayed as, well, his intentions were always pure, even though he's been, the thing that they had one date, which was their prom date, that didn't end well, obviously, because he had a little bit of a mishap that everyone knows about. Um, but it didn't end well. They never even kissed. They went out on one date. And he's been carrying a picture of her in his wallet for, yeah, I think it's like 15 years or something. And then he hires a private investigator to find her. And he, at the end, he says something like, She's like, why would you do this? Like, everyone's been doing this to me. Like, she's had people that are actual stalkers before she's been to that experience. And then all these other men that she didn't even know about till the end. And he says, I just knew my life would never be good again if I, like, didn't give this a shot or didn't try. And it's like, it's been 15 years. (laughs) Give it up. Exactly. Like, you need, like, you need to stop. And it's just wild because he's portrayed as, like, he's different to all the other guys because he's really He's a good guy. He's the good one. He's the good stalker, which is shocking when you watch it back. And even the title, I think the title of it is so emblematic of how we think of these things because it's there's something about Mary and it implies that, oh, it's just her allure. She just has this effect over men. You kind of get the same thing in the film 500 Days of Summer where it's like, oh, well, she just entrances men. They're, they're victims to whatever her magic quality is and it's absolving them of being really creepy, really persistent having a complete lack of boundaries, which is the wild part. Yeah, it's subtle victim blaming nearly. It's kind of like, oh, she must be kind of doing something. Or like when I, because I had a second experience with the second stalker, which was not as severe as the first. But like when I kind of told people that that was happening, people were like, Jesus, what is it that you're doing? And like, you must be too nice. And I'd be there like, please stop saying these things. You know, like... yeah and it's it's funny because like in I think the problem with it in pop culture is like when it is a woman being pursued and stalked by a man you know he's always portrayed to be the good guy she might be a bit better looking and she rejects him at first he keeps trying over and over again eventually she gives and they fall she gives in and they fall in love but that you know that narrative in itself is so damaging like if someone is rejecting you over and over again like you should respect that and say no and I think seeing it in tv and films and in in music I suppose growing up is what has enabled it to be normalized I suppose 
totally normal. Remember stings, every breath you take, I'll be watching you. And it's like, that's not creepy at all. Also, I hate sting anyway, so any (laughs) to to give out to him. But yeah, it's totally normalized. And even, you know, we're now at the stage where the series you has now Valentine's Day cards. Um, you you, um, what's the guy's name in it? I know he's Penn in real life. So Penn Badgley plays Joe. Joe. And you and there was even a TikTok meme going around where people it was like people acted like they were the person that Joe was watching so it was the audio of his voice and people were acting it out as if they were like the subject of his gaze and it was really interesting seeing how people thirsted after Joe so much even though he's a stalker and a murderer and Penn Badgley himself has come out to be like don't fancy Joe Joe's the worst you shouldn't and yet somehow it's that we were when we were chatting about this a little bit earlier, uh, Caroline. You brought up um, Ted Bundy and how you know Ted Bundy was this really charismatic guy, and that's how he got away with it for so long. No one, everyone was like, "Oh, he's such a well-spoken young man." And it's really interesting to see how it's like. Have we really learned that much if people have crushes on Joe from you? Yeah, with even when Je- um, what's his name, Zac Efron played Ted Bundy, everyone's like, "Ted Bundy's kind of hot," and it's like, "Oh, like stop this." <laughs> It's not good. That's just definitely not good. Well, and even if we flip the gender, there's a whole different thing there about, um, you know, we have, there are female stalkers, obviously. You have misery, you have fatal attraction, which coined the original term of bunny boiling when the rejected woman actually boiled a bunny um, belonging to the guy that she was stalking, Michael Douglas, who actually went on to um, experience stalking in real life as well um, later on. Um, but I think the, the gender aspect is interesting. Alex, you have some thoughts on that. Well, yeah, so I did a very fun little deep dive into stalking films. And um, now this is kind of by and large, some of these are generalizations. It's not always the case. But I found that, and especially with Fatal Attraction, um, apparently women came up to Glenn Close after the film came out and said, thank you. You've scared my husband into never cheating on me. You've saved my marriage, which is kind of surreal. And apparently, um, I think, I think I read this somewhere that in the original ending, I think her, so her name is Alex and she was actually meant to kill herself at the end. But audiences kind of thought, oh, that like that was it was quite bleak or something or it just what they didn't really like that ending. So they changed it so that Michael Douglas's wife is the one that kills her at the end, because um, after this huge showdown in the shower gets really bloody. It's even she has such a like horror film villain kind of vibe because she comes back at the end as well. The way you see in a lot of horror films, like in Scream, the, ki- the killer comes back at the end, like the, they're not quite dead. The same thing happens in Fatal Attraction. And yeah, just the bunny boiler, it was huge. And I think it really shows this particular, like the crazy ex-girlfriend or the that trope for women in this kind of film and, f- and female stalkers often a lot more kind of pathologized or seen as like suffering from mental illness. Um, in Fatal Attraction, Alex has borderline personality disorder. And the film does kind of come along with a whole host of really negative tropes around that um, around that diagnosis. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with as well the series Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is a really fantastic TV series. I think it might still be on Netflix. But um, Rachel Bloom plays uh, this girl called Rebecca. And she basically, she's got this high power job as a lawyer in New York, but she's not happy. And she has a chance encounter with her like first boyfriend ever, her camp boyfriend from summer camp and she decides she's going to operate her entire life and move to LA to chase after him and it's kind of really plays with the idea of a crazy ex-girlfriend and there's so much behavior that you're like this is absolutely stalking this isn't acceptable mm-hmm. but 
it's always very self-aware and she herself also gets a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder which is treated really sensitively throughout the whole series and it's given it gives basically space to this type of female character that hasn't typically been given to them in the past where they're just written off as that's my crazy stalker ex okay it's interesting yeah and orange is the new black as well um i think the the character alex falls is stalked um by uh, there's a character that comes in called Lolly and she notices the behaviors and she starts saying it to the guard she says it to her girlfriend in it and no one's taking her seriously um and yeah I think that the um there is a diagnosis put on the woman who's stalking her but there's as well the character Lorna she's in there because she had stalked her ex-partner and um you know they call her local Lorna and there and stuff as well so yeah it's interesting how that translates over to that as well is there legislation or is there um statistics around gender because some of the ones I found were that 78 percent of the victims were women that was an American study do we have mm-hmm. Irish or UK statistics no, so we're working on um, Irish statistics at the moment. They We have a survey that's going on until the 31st of March with UCC. Um, so that should hopefully be the first time to kind of reveal the prevalence and stuff in Ireland. But I mean, um, in England, um, there is a woman, Dr. Rachel Wheatley, who does great work. And some of her studies show that up to 90% of the time, the victims are female and nearly 90% of the time, the perpetrators are male. Um, it's hard as well though to get an accurate reading because if men are stalked then they sometimes don't you know feel as confident coming out and saying it um, you know for for reasons and you'll always have that but it is it is very much a gender-based crime but uh, one in five women in England would be stalked in their lifetime but one in ten men as well so those are quite high high numbers Yeah. yeah Wow. Definitely. And then it's not helped by, yeah, like the rom the rom-com approach where it's like, this is just lovely romantic behavior. Like that's why people don't take it seriously as such. And we're not just saying that, like there is research out there. Um, a woman called Julie Lipman did a study and said that because we have, because we say that stalking is romantic in films, like there's something about Mary and you, um, she says men are socialized to be persistent and women are socialized to be flattered by it. So it should be like, oh, well, you know, Kanye just left the flowers. He's just fighting for his family and he is being persistent. And it's like, you're, you should be fighting for your family too, like the family law courts, not like, uh, you know, on Twitter and Instagram posts of like decapitating your ex-wife's new partner in a music video or even remember he did that video famous and he depicted Taylor Swift naked in bed and like obviously they've had a long history between Mm -hmm. them but like that varies on sexual harassment lack of consent and stalking as well that video do you think do you remember that the the waxworks thing he made yeah there was a couple of celebrities in that I think there was like a scene where there's like loads of them lying in a bed and I don't know if they're all waxwork and some of them are real or if some participated I can't remember but yeah he's had he's called Taylor Swift out on a few times there's a weird kind of obsession there I suppose like he has there's a few songs where he references her I think well yeah Kanye West kind of famously has these fixations I would say you could call them an absolutely with Taylor Swift and in that music video yeah I think he kind of the way it was constructed was like well Rihanna's in the bed I think um I think uh 
what's her name? Anna, I think Anna Winter is in there. But there's just a, it's the, for the video famous and there's all these celebrities just lined up in a bed naked and it's meant to be kind of a thing. But yes, obviously Taylor Swift is in there as well. And Taylor Swift and Kanye having a much more fraught history and all the fallout that came from that. But it is really interesting to look at the Kanye West dynamic because I think he's always been a quote unquote kind of eccentric artist and people have made these concessions for him. But yes, as Trevor Noah said in a really good and very thoughtful um, uh, kind of monologue on his talk show, that if one of the richest women in the world, Kim Kardashian, who herself is now a lawyer or at least training to be a lawyer, who has a knowledge of the legal system, the resources that she would have compared to like no one, most people do not have the resources that she has in terms of money, in terms of security, in terms of finances. And even she can't escape her ex. Mm-hmm. Like what hope do other people have? And it's so, yeah, exactly. That thing of like, well, he just wants his family back. Mm. And that entitlement and that really toxic kind of ownership. It's like, well, Kim was his first. And it's just, oh, it just leaves such a bad taste in your mouth. That's what makes stalking so dangerous, though. It's no matter what the money is, or even if you have the security, that fear is still with you all the time. And, you know, that's why as well, you know, America do have stalking laws, but I don't think it's prosecuted very well over there. Another, like, um, thing I noticed as well I was watching one of the Britney Spears documentaries recently and I would go to say that the paparazzi stalked her like completely oh, like she was 100%. being stalked by numerous paparazzi like at once and um and then I was listening to Lady Gaga's song paparazzi which seems to you know mention stalking a bit in it as well and um you know it's funny a lot of these celebrities that go on to kind of have issues after finding fame you'd wonder if that relentless stalking from paparazzi all the time plays a big part of that because I'd imagine that it would imagine you know your every move being not only watched and followed but then actually pictures being taken or videos being taken and then publicly broadcast um you know it's not really I just don't think it's acceptable in this day and age that 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 should be allowed I think everyone should be entitled to privacy yeah. Well, Brittany, like at that point, like they were upskirting her as well. Like they were lying on the ground to take pictures up her skirt as she was getting out of cars. So it was such an intense violation. And obviously when she had her mental health breakdown, that's an incredibly vulnerable moment for somebody. But yeah, everyone was like, this is brilliant. We're making so much money off her. And we just consumed all the content we could about that. And it was just yeah it hasn't aged well shall we say I think we were learning a lot but again we didn't have these conversations you know like I've spoken before about I worked in domestic violence services for years and we never mentioned stalking we just said that was oh that's part of you know um um digital abuse you know if they're stalking you online and things like that but we never said even the word stalking or, or got any training on it and I think that's hopefully um changing now as we kind of have these conversations and and Eve I know like because you've been campaigning um this is still only very recent though isn't it like you've only been campaigning a year or so is that right yeah I think it was the 15th of March or the 16th of March was like the year anniversary from when I first went public with my story so I mean yeah it's only in the last year that I've I suppose really heard it being mentioned there has been like a few Irish celebrities that were stopped that, that it was touched uh touched on before but I mean it would have been maybe an article or two but not much attention really given to it mm-hmm. but like it's been it's not that it means that it wasn't there and that um it wasn't prevalent you know that many years ago because I know 
when Coco's law was being brought into effect, then, you know, it was mentioned then that there, there should be standalone stoking laws and it was supposed to be kind of brought in with that and it got pushed to the side. And then the Law Reform Commission made recommendations in 2016 as well. So, I mean, the word, I suppose, that is being used as stalking in legislation now is this word besetting, which is in the harassment laws, but like it's a really confusing word that the, the guards don't really understand, the court system doesn't understand, and that that word besetting doesn't really encompass what stalking is at all. So, I mean, like, yeah, I suppose that's why we need the awareness around it as well and actually calling it what it is. Eve, can you also maybe give us maybe a bit of a breakdown? So if you're a victim of stalking or if you've some experienced stalking in Ireland at the moment, because these laws that we currently have don't really fit, what, what criteria does someone have to meet and how does that differ from the reality of what so many people experience? Yeah, so there's harassment laws. There's a harassment law that's been there since 1997. But I mean, the rights of prosecution for that are, from what I've seen on a grassroots ground level and from talking with people and having my own experience two experiences um that law i felt did not serve me well whatsoever um there's no like in england they have stalking protection orders so it's much easier for them to obtain restraining orders or barring orders or safety orders like in ireland at the minute if you're getting a safety order you know i've some victims coming to me saying that they can't take out a safety order because they've moved address maybe two three times and if they apply for a safety order then the perpetrator is going to know what their address is again. So there's just not, there's not enough there. There's no real support services there yet. Um, there's not proper legislation and there doesn't seem to be a proper kind of understanding on a national level of, you know, what it is, how prevalent it is and how serious it is. Like I grew up in the countryside and there was always kind of people deemed as like peeping toms and things like this. that used to go and look in certain people's windows, but I mean, they were stalking people you know um so i mean when you when you start to understand what stalking actually is and what it looks like you do see you see it everywhere Mm. that's a scary thing isn't it that it is so prevalent but we just haven't named it yet and if we haven't named it like victims haven't named it for themselves as well exactly and that's the danger i suppose we're having it in pop culture and uh portrayed as romantic in movies because it makes it harder to identify them and then just like the, you know how I was saying in sex education when she calls them out for the word carrying so much weight there's so often nearly every day I hear someone say oh uh, I was just having a stalk of his Facebook or I was stalking her on Instagram and I'm <laughs> it makes me so angry because I'm like you know we can't we don't seem to use that word when someone is actually being stalked but I mean people will use it kind of casually it's like when people used to say frape when they'd go on someone's Facebook account Oh my god. That was re- yeah. that was really strange. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's it's so interesting how whenever they're in a serious context, words like stalking and rape and sexual assault have so much weight. And it's like, well, be careful who you put that on now. That's a very that's a very big claim to make. But we used to just flippantly throw these words around, like, oh, I'm Facebook stalking, you're raping somebody. And how yeah. we used to, it's it's really interesting how well we can be so flippant in one sense, but in the other one, it's like, oh no, we have to take that very seriously. Yeah. And, Eve, I'm wondering as well, after after your own experience, did you start to see maybe films and TV shows differently or films or shows that you'd loved before? And then after you'd had your experience, you're like, oh, hang on a minute. I don't feel I can't enjoy this the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Like <laughs> you, I wasn't able to watch it all 
when everyone was watching the Night Stalker, I was like, I'm just going to set this out because I know it's going to trigger me. Um, but yeah, like rewatching like Stranger Things, um, although it's named as stalking in Stranger Things, at the end of the day, um, he still gets the girl. So I suppose that was kind of frustrating. Songs as well, like, um, yeah, Blondie's One Way or Another, Eminem Stan. Like, I actually listened to that before I came on this because I was on about it to my housemate and I and she had never even kind of picked up. Um, and I can't remember if that's based on a true story or not, but... Um, I think it is. I think is it's it? Be, yeah. yeah, I think it's meant to be based on a real fan that contacted him. And actually, I'd never even thought of that because it's so rare to find... Whenever I was trying to deep dive into this, the only male-on-male stalking film I could find was a one hour photo that one of Robin Williams where it's more that he develops a fixation with this family and he's like well I want this family or it's kind of almost trying to insert himself into that family unit but Stan is a really interesting example and how we now have the term stanning for fans that are really really into into an artist and how we've made that a positive thing in a way. I've just coughed that that is what that, that's is where that stanning comes from it comes oh from Eminem Stan which is wild that's again, that's just again how we like use language to, you know, normalize these behaviors in day to day life. That's so funny. I didn't realize that was. And that's what? people who like will have like whole like Twitter accounts dedicated to like Taylor Swift or someone and like will tweet all day long. And then if Taylor says this person's wrong, remember she fought with like Damon Alburn recently and then he had like 50 billion tweets a second like given out to him. And that's all her fans going after him and stuff. And it's like, don't think you should be super proud of that behavior maybe rein it in a little bit and and just yeah but it, it's like the obsessiveness like it's great I am a Taylor Swift fan but I'm, I wouldn't be tweeting about her all day long and stuff like that so but yeah we don't really talk about that unhealthy yeah. behavior there but I think a lot yeah. of the time we don't see celebrities or people in the media as actual humans you know it's so easy because it seems like they're so far removed from ourselves but I think it's like coming back to that like I like I mean Jesus I think back now I loved Justin Bieber so much <laughs> when I was like a teenager and was probably like emailing his you know fan mail so much but imagine you know put your, putting yourself in their your their shoes and imagining what it's like to have such an influx of people saying that they're in love with you and things all the time like it must be really damaging and then if you do something wrong like remember he kind of like you know went off the rails a little bit and rebelled and you have those people judging you or like you know calling for you to be cancelled and stuff and it's like you're just a teenager trying to figure out life under the microscope and stuff but also you don't know which fan is the good fan or which fan is the violent fan and do you remember there was a girl um was it Christina Grimes um she was on Pop Idol or American Idol one of those and she was shot by a fan at a meet and greet so it's like you don't know which one is the dangerous one that's the scary thing and you know if they're Mm -hmm. like giving you cookies and stuff you're like they they might be nice or they might be laced with poison like (laughs) who knows which one but it's just yeah it's wild it must be terrifying Yeah. yeah I'd imagine it's scary I think we'd be remiss as well if we didn't talk about Robert Pattinson, considering the, the Batman is out at the minute. 
and as someone who is a diehard Twilight fan. Oh, Alex, God, I'm <laughs> judging you. Okay. okay, okay, even Robert Pattinson now says it's uncool to be a Twilight hater, like in 2022. I think we've passed it. So just throwing that out there. Robert Pattinson, who hated Twilight more than anybody, is like, oh, come on, guys. But it's so crazy because I was reading that in my really formative years, along with so many teenage girls. And the behavior in it is shocking. I mean, at the same time, I mean, it was written by Stephanie Meyer, who does have like a Mormon, who had a Mormon upbringing. And there were some really interesting values that she was just secretly disseminating to teenage girls. But one of them is that um, Edward would creep into Bella's room at night and watch her sleep. And she asks, how long have you been doing this for? And he says, a while. And keep in mind, he's a deadly predator who wants to kill her. And he's very conflicted because he also happens to love her. But there's this scene where she's walking down this dark street at nighttime and a gang of men starts following her. And you're like, obviously, you know, something bad is about to happen. And Edward saves the day. He drives in and he manages with his weird vampire energy. He scares them off. But the only reason he was able to save her is because he himself is following her too. But we're meant to believe like, oh my God, Edward is this hero and he's this Byronic hero. He's so tragic and we want to root for him. And those kind of behaviors that you're telling teenage girls like oh this means he really loves you if he's following you and he can't stay away from you and he breaks into your room to watch you sleep yeah and- like there's a bit of that in spider-man too i think as well it's like in action movies you'll have someone stalking someone for protection and it was the the andrew garfield um emma stone one that people now really love because andrew garfield obviously is this really like he's like soft quote-unquote female gaze kind of hero but even in that one he stalks her twice on two separate kind of occasions doesn't he Oh God! Yeah, there was the I can't remember. There's there, it's it's so prevalent. Like it was even in the Joker as well, and it wasn't even it wasn't addressed. Um, and I remember going to the Joker. I was being stalked at the time. <laughs> I was oh, just sitting there, and I was like, I, I was just. I think when you're hypersensitive to it as well, you spot yeah. it everywhere because you're you know on that kind of high alert, high lookout. Um, and I mean, er, I was so angry at my ex for ringing me because like he would have been going out he had seen it before as well and I was like I was like how did you not pick up on that and you know when it's not directly addressed um it kind of yeah, I suppose makes it harder to identify yeah and as if it's damaging. seen as like romantic or not that big a deal and even you know I did my research on the experiences of female porn actresses um in the US and a lot of them talked about being stalked and some of them said some fans are like too intense like they'll know their birthday and you know kind of like know too many personal details and think they're in that relationship with them or something um and then one of them had said because she didn't respond to his stalking he sent videos of her movies to her family and stuff so it's like that kind of punishment level of like uh, you know they, they they hit that point of like right I'm gonna act and I'm gonna like take my revenge on you for not giving in to my advances and we see that loads and, and things like yeah pop culture. like it, there is a point where they just snap like that yeah there is like those other kind of threatening behaviors as well but it's like it's when someone is stalking someone and when it gets to that level of escalation and intensity like they'll do anything to hold the control over someone even if that means completely upsetting them dragging family or friends into it we see a lot of like threats to pets or like even sometimes the stalker pretending that they are the person that they are stalking on social media and making fake accounts or making fake accounts of their family or friends, you know, in order to 
turn around and just send them abusive messages and stuff. It's all about, you know, keeping that control over someone. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think the fact that that element of control, and it's something that we've talked about quite a bit in this podcast. And there's one, there's a really great video on YouTube called Stalking for Love. And it's this kind of pop culture. And there's this great account called Pop Culture Detective. And they talk about how this is in so many movies and so many films and how the thing is, we see this as like, well, it's the romantic hero. It's usually men. It's do, he's doing it because he loves her. But love is a reciprocal, mutual process. And for so many of these kind of stories that we hear in films and TV shows and everything, it's like it's even like a very love at first sight. Like, you don't know who I am, but I love you and my love is pure kind of thing. But it's like, no, it's not. It's attraction. It's an infatuation. It's a projection because you don't know that person. And love is a reciprocal thing. It takes two people to be in that. But it's so much more, I think, about that element of power and control and possession. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It, it reminds me of um, I was really looking at American Beauty, and that that has not aged well either. I'm sure none of you will be surprised to to hear that. Um, there's bits in it where Ricky fits in, it and he videotapes the girl all the time, and then like writes her name in like burning fire on her grass, and it's like that's viewed as romantic, and then she does end up getting with him, but like like to take it that level like they're quite extreme grand gestures but they are a way of like controlling things as well because setting your lawn on fire like there's that there's a hint of an implied threat on that as well of like I have access to burning material arson yeah like that's (laughs) that's kind of quite worrying and and just you know but again like all the media commentary at the time was like this is a great romantic movie and the scary person in it was Kevin Spacey who's a creepy person in real life anyway allegedly as I assume we have to say um but you know and he was like the old guy perving on, on the younger friend and that was the creepy focus of the movie not the other part and it's like we missed that bit <laughs> just yeah, yeah. it's funny it, it's it, always sunny in Philadelphia was another one as well um I don't know if you've seen that where because they're married they're, in real life aren't they it's Charlie and the waitress you never leave yeah are they married in real life I'm pretty sure they actually are married in real life oh my god was well, it that's the kind of running joke or maybe it's him and someone else but like or they dated for a while or something but the running joke is like well they're actually together but he just never takes no for an answer no then there's that episode where he puts on the play the night man cometh and that used to be like my favorite i think it's like season five episode 13 or something i used to love that episode so much i think it's this certain episode that i remember down to the number. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> literally and then i was stalked and then i watched it again and i was like no you just start to see it everywhere like he literally jumps out from behind the car asks her to come to this play that he puts on promises her that he'll stop stalking her like it is meant I think the word stalking is even mentioned in it as well and I mean he has put on this elaborate play to actually propose to her in front of all of these people now that is one though where she does actually say no but I mean I think he does continue stalking her for a couple more episodes I can't really remember how it all ends out but um, I missed it because it's always something in Philadelphia I can watch two or three episodes and I'm, then I just go these are all just terrible humans I can't deal with them yeah, anymore that's how, that's how I feel about Peep Show like after a couple of episodes yeah. I'm like it's actually uh, the visceral embarrassment is too much and I need mm. to stop but one thing I think is actually so interesting because I think a huge part of it is the actors that maybe play these roles because you know Charlie Day has this really like He's not, he's kind of non-threatening, even though he's a stalker, because he's not super hot. He's kind of short. He's a bit funny looking or just that kind of thing. And I think someone who has made a career out of playing kind of pathetic men and flying under the radar for his creepy behavior is John Cusack. So 
he's the one in the film, you know, say anything with the boombox over his head, this iconic moment of him playing Peter Gabriel to try and get his girlfriend back, even though she won't answer his calls, she won't speak to him. And he's like, no, I have to make a grand gesture to win her back. And in the movie High Fidelity, where he just plays the worst guy ever, he has this habit of ringing his girlfriends or his exes from outside their flats and like looking up into their house as he's calling them or like screaming into their apartments from across the street being like take me back and he's kind of always played these kind of like pathetic male characters but we know like oh we know that they can't do too much damage but the behavior it's like the relentless contact the stalking just like not leaving someone alone it's just the sort of kind of non-threatening men that we get to play these characters I think is really a big part of it because it really affects how we perceive it yeah and it never shows the impact that it has on the person that's experiencing the stalking either you know it's always that like oh eventually they fall most of the time it's that they eventually fall in love with them and that's why it's so damaging it would be like I, I don't know apparently you there's some parts of you that's done quite well um maybe someday I'll be like fit for watching it and so I could like assess that but um I mean there it does I do think that there has been a few conversations I have heard I don't know if it's because I'm so like involved in this world but there has been changing conversation there was a big um split for the Kim and Kanye thing of opinion um even within my own friend group and stuff um but I mean when you start to kind of break it down to people they start to understand it and uh I even said to someone recently, because, you know, like people will always kind of turn around and say, oh, pornography is the reason that um, young, you know, guys are abusing women. And it's like, well, I mean, you could easily say that rom-coms have had nearly as much a part to play in it because this like coercive controlling behavior, these stalking behaviors, you know, are so normalized. And, you know, these movies and series can be damaging as well. That's what, that's the whole reason why we do this podcast because like a porn obviously has its problems but like most people are watching porn for like maybe 10 minutes or something at a time enough time to log on and do what you're going to do and then log off and but we spend mm-hmm. literally hours and hours immersed in pop culture all the time so um, it, it is important to have a look at that and even you know we often talk in porn about like it's really damaging like the no like you know if it, in hetero porn it's like the woman will often say no and then she has to either be forced or won around or just the no is just completely ignored and then all of a sudden she's like oh yes this is actually quite great actually but like mm-hmm. the the extended version of that is in pop culture it is people got, being relentless and not respecting that no and not um you know leaving the person alone and then eventually they have to say yes like even um if you go back to the notebook like after he climbs up on the ferris wheel um oh what's her name my friend rachel weiss is it mcadams adams rachel Rachel McAdams, McAdams. yeah Yeah. she like pulls down his trousers to humiliate him and it's like but that's like what options did she have like it's kind of like we use humor to try and exit situations safely a lot of the time because like if you if she had stood up there and went no this is actually stalking I'm going to name this as abusive behavior that would have been a very scary situation for her to be in I mean she was literally Mm -hmm. trapped so yeah you know we do need to have these conversations about pop culture as a whole because it's it's not great all the time um as much as it is great lots and lots of times but um (laughs) 
Yeah, gosh, yeah. Um, well, we might wrap up there. Um, I, I think, you know, obviously we need to come back to so many of these. We could do a whole episode on Kim and Kanye just at the moment, but hopefully that mm-hmm. will resolve itself soon. Um, Eve, where can people find you if they want to follow along with your work, that your awesome work that you are doing? Thanks. So we have Stalking Ireland on Twitter and Instagram and then my old Twitter and Instagram is just Eve McDowell. You can get me on those. And Stalking Ireland is our website as well. Perfect. Brilliant. And Alex, where can people find us? So people can find us talking about consent every day of the week at Active Consent on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And our fantastic new website with the Department of Justice is consenthub.ie, where you can find out more about our learning resources, our workshops, the training we provide, all that kind of great stuff. Perfect. And yeah, we will like book us and we will come. <laughs> we will we will come and have a chat wherever we're going. Um, so yeah, we want to say thanks to all our listeners. You can now find us wherever you get your podcasts. We had a little bit of a delay with Apple and Spotify, but we are up on there. Um, you can follow us on Spotify. That would be super great if you could. That helps us get the word out about the podcast. And if you are on Apple slash iTunes, um, if you can rate and review there, that's really great, really helpful because again, that helps spread the word and helps other people discover the podcast too and it would make us also just really happy and we like being really happy and we will take a little five-star review to help that along the way so happy days so eve um thanks mill for your time today alex we will be back next month with some more awesome topics and yeah thanks to all the listeners bye